Happy New Year. I'm glad you partiers made it. If you happen to nod off, I'll understand why. It's not just the preaching. I don't know if we had it on the screen or not, but today's scripture is going to be Luke chapter 8. So if you want to um, find that in your Bible or your app or whatever you're using, bookmark it. And of course, we're also going to be referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is our master text for this series that we're in. And before we even get to that, I want us to hear one more time or at least one more time today, Ben Rector's More Like Love. So let's give a listen. I used to think I wanted to be famous I'd be recognized out in a crowd But the funny thing is Any time I've gotten what I want It lets me down But now I just want to look like love I just want to look more like love This whole world is spinning crazy and I can't quite keep up It's the one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of So I just want to look a little more like love I used to think I needed all the answers I used to need to know that I was right I used to be afraid of things I couldn't cover up in black and white Now I just want to look more like love I just want to look more like love This whole world is spinning crazy I can't quite keep up It's the one thing around here That we don't have quite enough of So I just Like love I find the farther that I climb There's always another line A mountaintop It's never gonna stop And the more of anything I do The thing that always ends up true Is getting what I want will never be enough so I just want to look more like love I just want to look more like love This whole world is spinning crazy I can't quite keep up It's the one thing around here we don't have quite enough of So I just want to look a little more Like love Like I love that song more every time I hear it. The message is a penetrating message, and it really speaks to the heart. A few weeks ago now, I started a, a series of, of messages based on 1 Corinthians 13, and the series is entitled, Loving Like Jesus. 
And we began to consider what the Apostle Paul said was the most excellent way to live. And that most excellent way is the way of love, the way of Jesus himself and of the examples that he set for us. So in the first three verses of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said that love is more important. We went all down through this list. It's more important than spiritual gifts or knowledge or faith or generosity or even a willingness to die for Christ as a martyr. For even if we had all that but didn't have love, he says we'd be as empty and useless as beating a gong outside a pagan temple. And, and of course, I set that historic background for you so you would understand, we all would, kind of what that language meant. I've read it for years and, and never really uh, understood the origin of that. Very descriptive. And then you go on to verse 4 in that same chapter, and, and message number 2 was about patience. And, and we said, patience endures. And Paul tells us that love is patient, that love is, has a long fuse, and that love is slow to boil over, and love counts down before it blasts off. And then he tells us that love is kind. And that's where I want to camp today. That's what I want us to consider this morning. We talk about the grace, the mercy, the love, the long-suffering of Jesus. And I think at the top of that list, before any of those things are put on the list, we need to put the word kindness. Because out of God's kindness, he loved us. He showed grace to us. He offered mercy to us. And he saved us. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, is my startup this morning. That's my entry. Love is kind. Can we say it together? Let's say it together. We don't have as many people as usual, so you'll have to be in good voice. Love is kind. No, you don't have to look at your spouse. It's okay. Just say it with me. Love is kind. Good job. If you were describing our present world, if you're at all listening, watching, understanding, aware of, would, let me ask you this question. Would you describe our present world as a kind world? What was that? Wasn't a resounding yes, wasn't it? Now, as we look at things going on in our world, and, and the honest truth is, I wouldn't say any of us really understand it fully. The horrors of this world, the things that are happening, the people who are suffering, it's just incredible. I think, as you said, the answer would come pretty quickly that no, this is not a kind world. I heard this story about a woman who was standing at a bus stop and she just cashed her tax refund check So she was carrying more money than usual, and she was a little nervous about that as she stood at the corner waiting for the bus. And she happened to glance around, and she noticed a very shabbily dressed man standing nearby. And as she watched him, she saw another man walk up to him, and she noticed that that second man handed the first man some money, and then he whispered something in his ear. She was so touched by that act of kindness, kindness, that she decided to do the same thing. And in a burst of generosity, she reached into her purse and she took out $10. And she handed it to the man. And she bent towards him and whispered to him, never despair. Never despair. The next day when she came to the bus stop, there that same man was again. This time he walked up to her and he handed her $110. Dumbfounded, she said, what's this? And he said, you won, lady. Never despair, paid ten to one. (laughs) Now, I can't promise that every act of kindness is going to pay ten to one. Sometimes it won't. Other times it might pay a thousand to one. Who knows? Sometimes it may even cost you something. Sometimes it may require sacrifice on your part that does not change this text. Love is 
kind. Love isn't really love until it's expressed. Little jingo we used to use, love in the heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till it's given away. Love doesn't operate in a vacuum. So the third message in this series, moving along, I'm just simply entitled Love's Expressions. And with that in mind, I want to take you to a couple of the clearest examples, what I believe to be the clearest examples of love and kindness in the entire Bible. And they're both found in one chapter, and that's Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Because in this passage, we see Jesus showing kindness to two people. These people were entirely different people. They had different backgrounds. They had different socioeconomic status. They had different needs. One was a man. The other was a woman. One is an outcast, poor and unknown. The other is rich and influential and a ruler in the synagogue. And yet Jesus treats both of them with great kindness. That's the first thing I want you to really notice here. And shall I say it again, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you have a title or if you don't have a title. He doesn't care where you came from. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks. He doesn't matter. He doesn't care about the skin color. He doesn't care about the ethnic origin. He doesn't care about your orientation of life. What he cares about is, is your heart focused on him. So by the time of this story in Luke 8, Jesus had already gained what I would call notoriety. Really, it was just local popularity. I mean, the crowds were following him. He had a great deal of fame in that region. I would say he was at the pinnacle of his popularity. People respected him as a healer and as a teacher. And just huge crowds were swarming around him wherever he went. You could tell that he was there just by the crowds that gathered. But despite the pressures of popularity, and you know, you, you, you see these people who are popular, and you think, oh man, if I could just be like that, or if I could be in that position, or if I could do that, uh, careful what you wish for. Because the pressures that come with popularity or position sometimes are not what most people would want to even consider going through. Here's Jesus at the, at the height or the pinnacle of popularity, but despite that and despite the crowds that were constantly pushing in around him and, dis, and, and, and in spite of all the demands on, on his time, Jesus in his kindness stopped everything everything that he was doing to help them and to meet their needs and to get them through difficult times. I like what Cal Thomas wrote some time ago, and I quote, Love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. Wow. Wow. Jesus not only talked about love and kindness, he modeled it for us too. He was the epitome of it. He was the living example of it to all mankind. So let's look and see what ways Jesus showed kindness to them. In what ways did he go beyond whatever could be expected? Because I think those are the ways we're going to notice that we need to learn how to show kindness today. I know the world's tough. I know it beats down on all of us. I know there's so many Question, there are more question marks than there are answers. There's no question about that as far as the, the things that are going on around us in the material world. And it gets difficult sometimes, and it just wears you down. And I, I, I for one, understand that. I'm, I'm out there like you are, and I'm amongst the people that, that are experiencing these things. But we need to learn these lessons of kindness. And if you're the kindest person in the room, I'm just going to suggest to you that in 2017 could be a year where you even step it up a notch, where you even take on a little bit more of this whole idea of being kind. 
So what about love's expressions as we see uh, uh, through Jesus here in Luke chapter 8? Well, first, let me just tell you, keep moving on here. Jesus expressed his kindness or his love, first off, first off, perk up now, by listening to them. I said, Jesus, no. (laughs) You know, we, we could stop right there, couldn't we? And just fold it and just say, that's a wrap. He, he expressed his kindness by listening to them. That means by paying attention to their needs. So in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 40, we read some great verses, some great words, and I want to walk you through them, if you don't mind. If you want to read along with me, I certainly wouldn't be insulted at all. And if not, and you just want to listen, you want to soak it in, that's wonderful too. Now when Jesus, starting at verse 40, I I probably neglected to say that. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. See, still very popular. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Now I want to stop there for a minute and just explain what I just said. We're not told where Jesus was going. I don't know where he was headed. I don't know. Possibly he was on his way to some open place that someone told him about where he could stop and the crowds could gather and he could teach and preach to the crowd surging around him. And and that was very important. And it was very, very, very important for him to do that and and to get his word established in the minds and hearts of many people, as many as we could. But as soon, excuse me, as Jairus came and told him about his daughter, hear the very next words that we read. As Jesus was on his way. We don't really need to know where he was going or why. Because as he was on his way, evidently, Jesus immediately changed direction and started following Jairus because this little girl's situation was much more pressing than whatever else he had scheduled or someone may have scheduled for him. By the way, How well do you handle interruptions? No, you don't have to look at the floor. I'm not going to come down and and roar at you. Just just a question. It's self-inspection time and maybe introspection time. How well do you handle interruptions? See, some people work best, and I understand this, when they can concentrate on one thing. Matter of fact, I've been looking at this in the last couple of years, this whole thing of multitasking. People talk, well, I multitask, or I don't do multitasking. I don't really think anybody does multitasking. You might get busy doing a whole bunch of stuff at one time, but you're not focused on one thing if you're doing anything more than one. There, I got that off my chest. Now, and thanks for agreeing with me. Some people work best when they can concentrate on one thing and they can see that project through to completion. They do not normally do two or three things well at the same time. So if they're concentrating and someone interrupts them, immediately they consider that an intrusion. And they do not normally handle interruptions very well or intrusions. And maybe you don't either. Maybe you do. Maybe you're fine. That's fine. But as you get older, you learn that sometimes, this is an interesting lesson to learn, sometimes the interruptions are sent by God, and they're opportunities to minister that you would totally miss if you ignored them or they never came to you in the first place. If you just go on with your project and you don't allow yourself to be interrupted and you aren't flexible enough to change direction and go another way, You could miss some great opportunities that God may place before you. I can tell you nearly 20 years ago in the 
spring of 1997, this came home to me in a very, very strong, very poignant way. And I just totally changed direction where I was going in ministry. And I just headed in a totally different way. And you're sitting here today. Because if I hadn't done that, I can't even tell you the opportunities I would have missed to minister, and many of you might have missed to minister or be ministered to over those years. So by refusing or not being flexible enough, or let's just say not being open enough to the leading and the urging and the pleading of the Holy Spirit to just stop where you are, change direction, go another way, you could miss opportunities that God might place before you. And if you're note-taking, that's a real good one to get in your notes. Jesus paid attention to Jairus. Isn't this interesting? And he changed his plan, and he changed his direction. But, but this, is, this is what really gets me. Jairus, in this story, was not the only interruption. And Jesus was flexible. And he was kind enough to just pause and meet another need as they were on the way, now we know where he's going, to Jairus' house. So I pick it up at verse 43, Luke 8, 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. No one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak And immediately her bleeding stopped. In uh, some of the versions, like the KJV and so on, it says she touched the hem of his garment. And those of you that are seamstresses know that the hem is the very last thing you do. And the hem of the cloak or the hem of the garment represents the finished work. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. Can you imagine? When they all denied it, because nobody could answer that question, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding in. They're pressing against you. They're about to smother you. But Jesus said, someone touch me. And I know that power has gone out from me. There were crowds of people surrounding them, and everyone was in a hurry. Yet Jesus was able to differentiate between the, tr- between the touch of the crowd and the personal touch of the woman who needed his help right then. Wow. Talk about interruptions. He was on the way somewhere, we don't know where. Then he's on the way to Jairus' house to do something very, 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 very important. And then was interrupted and had time to handle the situation. Now, I want to say this, bringing it up a couple thousand years. Our world has become so impersonal that at times we hardly recognize it. Some of us have a few years on us and we say, gee, looking back, when I was a kid or when I was in teens or when I was first married or I started work, whatever, we started having our family this, 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 this. And now we look at the world and we say, I I hardly recognize it. It's so impersonal. I remember when we used to go to, we called it a service station. I don't know if you know what that is or not. They call it a gas bar now. Because that's what it is. There were not lanes that said full service, self-service. There was no such thing as self-service. You went in, you stopped your vehicle. I don't even think we turned them off back then. And somebody came out, first thing they did was what? Wash the windshield. Second thing they did was? Check the oil. Third thing they did was ask you how much gas you want. Sometimes you could, you, if you had the right change, you could pay right there through the window. Let's, uh, I, know, I know this is very foreign to some of you. You think I lived in Siberia or somewhere. Close. Here's, here's the way it is today. You don't have to talk to anybody if you don't want to. 
You just put your card in a slot, you pump your own gas, you hop in, you drive away, and you never looked at another human being. Some banks in the bigger cities are that way. You go in, you're greeted by a teller machine, and all that stuff is done by computer somewhere behind a wall. Auto checkouts in many stores. Some of you like them, some of you despise them. Some of you don't know how to use them, so you always think they're broken. (laughs) Fast food restaurants are going that way. Have you heard? Automated. Automated. How about the airlines? In any major city, just call your airline, and you'll have a little bit of a a taped or a, a recorded conversation goes like this. And it's all computerized voice. If you want information regarding departing flights, press 1. For arriving flights, press 2. So you press 1, and it says, if you know your flight number, press 1. So you press 1 again, and it says, enter your flight number. And you punch that in, and the computerized voice then tells you the correct gate number, where you need to be, what time, and all the rest of it. You never have to talk to another living, breathing human being. I'm here to tell you, this world has become a very impersonal world. Now, technology has a lot to do with it, and security has a lot to do with it, and and nutty people running around this world without any kind of checks and balances, they have even more to do with it. But I'm saying what I think you already know, that this world is fast becoming very impersonal. We're living in the communication age. Nobody truly communicates anymore. It's staggering. It's staggering. Can you imagine what, you would, ha- what would happen if they did this to 911? So you dial 911, and you hear, if your emergency is a murder, press 1. If it is a burglary, press 2. If the burglar is still in the house, press 3. And if he has a gun, press 4 real quick. I, I, I don't know what we're coming to. It's become a very, very impersonal world. Let's come back to Luke 8. Jesus took time to stop. Where? Where? In the midst of an overwhelming crowd. Just for fun, I want to ask, how many of you watched any of the festivities from Times Square a few hours ago? I'm not the only one. They said there were 2 million people in Times Square last night. How many would like to have been there? No? I'm the only one, I guess. Okay. What a blast that would have been. That's what you call a party. That's what you call a press of people. Can you imagine just somehow magically being plunked down right in the middle of all that? I've been one time in my life. Maybe a couple of you men were with me. I've been in a crowd of a million people. And that you cannot explain. There's no way to describe what that looks like, how it feels. You, you can't. It just can't. But two million people, and you're right in the middle of it. Now, I don't think there were two million people following uh, the Lord Jesus, but I believe there was such a crowd that you couldn't tell who was in that crowd unless they were standing right beside you. And he took the time. This is what staggers my mind. He took the time to stop in the midst of that crowd and give a woman his personal attention as though she was the only one in that big crowd of people. What was he doing? He was expressing kindness by listening. And that's one of love's expressions. Secondly, how, how else did he do this? Well, Jesus expressed kindness in many ways, but the second thing I want to note right here on this story is he expressed that by being considerate of others. Wow. Wow. Luke 8, let's continue down to verse 47. 
Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, here's what I want you to realize. Because of her disease, this woman was considered unclean and therefore she was an outcast from society. They treated her like they treat someone with leprosy. So because of that, she hadn't been living with her family for 12 years. She was cut off from everything and everyone that she knew. Her self-esteem must have been at rock bottom. It must have been the lowest that it ever was or could possibly be. So Jesus surprises her. And first of all, he stops and listens to her story of woe. I think we have a very, I, I think this story as it was brought down through translators and, and comes to us from the gospel writers, I personally think that it is a very condensed version of the story that she told to the people and to Jesus. I mean, this is probably the first time, think of it, in a long time, a dozen years, that she really had anyone's attention or anyone that would even talk to her. It might even have been the first words that she even uttered in a long, long, long time. So I imagine that she stood there and, well, actually she knelt down and she just poured her heart out to him. And Jesus, this is such a beautiful picture, listened. (laughs) Doesn't that seem simple? And by listening and by looking at her and by paying attention to her, he was displaying real kindness, real love. He was encouraging. He was accepting. He was expressing love. So here it comes. You knew it was coming. Here it is. Are you a good listener? Here's the sad truth. This is not a uh, general indictment, but here's the sad truth. Most of us probably aren't. We pass each other and we say, how are you? You know what we, we expect when we say that, most of us? In our minds, we expect an automatic answer which says, oh, I'm fine. Doing great. But have you ever been caught off guard and someone really told you just how they were feeling? Woo! Hmm. Now, I think it's true. Most of us really don't take the time to listen, do we? Some don't because you're too busy talking. You hear, but you don't listen. And if you respond, it's all filtered answers. You've already planned your answer before the other person has told you the situation. Now, for the thought, you know, that's why we have two ears and one mouth. So we can do more listening than talking. But that doesn't work that way in the human scope of things. I don't, I don't quote this writer often. Matter of fact, I don't remember ever doing it in 40-some years, but she's an American humorist. She's a columnist. She's an author. And some of the stuff she's written is really not just entertaining, but, you know, it has some, it has some, some kind of a message to it. And the lady's name is Irma Bombeck. <laughs> and she told about a time when she was... It's funny. You never heard of Jairus, but you know where Irma Bombeck... Okay. She told about a time when she was so tired of listening... She had listened to her son tell in minute detail. Now, we're going to split the boomers from the millennials here. She listened to her son tell in minute detail about a movie he had just seen. She said it was punctuated by at least, with no exaggeration, a thousand you knows, okays, and likes. I can point to people in this room, and we don't have much of a crowd today, who can't say one sentence without one of those, sometimes all of them, in one sentence. I want to say, when you're all done those extra words, you didn't really say much. 
But I had to listen carefully because I wasn't sure what was in between the likes and the you knows. Then, she said, she received several telephone calls filled with what she felt was mindless chatter that never seemed to end. So it is with genuine relief she was able to tell the last caller she just had to rush off. She was heading to the airport. So she gets in a taxi cab, and as the taxi cab driver took her to the airport, he told her all about his son who had just won a scholarship to college and how he was making straight A's, and Irma had to sit back there and listen to it all. She said, but once I got to the airport, thank goodness, and I realized that I was like 30, 35 minutes early, I breathed a sigh of relief, and I thought, whew, I have 30 whole minutes when I don't have to listen to anybody. I can just sit here and I can read my book or read the paper and not be bothered at all. No sooner, she said, had I opened my book when an elderly lady said to me, by the way, she said I was heading to Chicago. She said, uh, the elderly lady said to me, I bet it's cold in Chicago. I responded, yeah, I suppose. And I didn't even look up from my book. And I heard her say, I haven't been in Chicago for three years. My son lives there. Oh, that's nice. Then the woman continued on. My husband's body is going to be on this plane we were married 53 years ago, and I don't drive, you see, and, and the funeral director was so nice, and he drove me to the airport today. Irma recalls, her voice droned on and on and on. Here was a woman who didn't want any money. She didn't want any advice. She didn't want any counsel. She wasn't asking for anything. She just wanted someone to listen to her. And in desperation, she had turned to a total stranger with her entire story. And Irma said, she continued to talk to me until they announced that we were going to board the plane. And we walked on the plane, and I saw her sit down in another section. And as I hung up my coat, I heard her say to the person next to her, I bet it's cold in Chicago. Here's what I'm finding out in our world. And when I say it, I want you to put your hand up if you found this out. There are so many of us who just need somebody, some time to really listen. You ever notice that? Or maybe you're that person. Just be considerate. Just focus on us and listen to what we have to say. And Jesus did so that day. Yeah, he was expressing kindness by being considerate of others. And we're talking here about love's expressions. Wow. Wow. And another thing I want to share with you is Jesus expressed kindness through an understanding spirit. He expressed love. So for today, Jesus expressed kindness through an understanding spirit. Notice what it says in verse 49. We're all the way down to verse 49. Start there of Luke 8. Okay? While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Wow. Wow. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he didn't let anyone else go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the other people are outside, and they're wailing, and they're mourning, and they're in grief. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. Anybody following in your Bible? What did they do next? They laughed at him. Knowing 
that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. I got to tell you something. Jesus didn't go to funerals. He canceled them. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Dead people don't eat. And her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now let's concentrate on those last few verses. The miracle is exceptional. I praise God for it. You do too. But notice what Jesus told them after the miracle was over. He said to them, don't tell anyone what has just happened. You know, (laughs) some of the most disturbing words in the English language, they're just four words that we like to speak, but we hate to hear. They are the words, I told you so. It's fun to speak them. We relish that. When we're the ones saying it, I told you so. Very difficult to listen to them, isn't it? Now, remember those people outside the house? What had they done? They had mocked, they had laughed at Jesus. They had mocked him and laughed at him before he went into the house to raise the girl back to life again. If I were Jesus, that I know is, that's a stretch. If I were Jesus, you know what I would have done? Monica, come here for a second. You be the girl. I would have walked outside where all those people were, and I would have said, I told you so! 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 Thank you. And I wonder what you would have done if you were Jesus. He didn't do that. He was concerned about how they felt. He didn't try to get even with them. He didn't even try to get back at them. He didn't try to glorify himself in all this. Instead, in kindness, he tells the parents, now don't tell anyone what has happened here. I think that's one of the fastest ways to get news spread around. Certainly is in our day. You know, sometimes... It's not so much what you say, Mm, you're right, as how you say it. I once in a while use these to help my what? And and what's the action? What's the word? Vision. And you said? Okay, this is interesting. This is interesting. Vision and sight. This is a great illustration. Are they the same words? No. Do they mean the same thing, though? They can in this case, right? Because I said I use this to help my... I use these to help my sight. Let me give you the, the example here. So you come into the room, and my wife and I are standing here, and you say, Bob, your wife is gorgeous. And you better say that, or I'll pop you one. But (laughs) because, what? She is. And you say, man, she's a vision. Mm." (laughs) And I see you walk in the room with your wife, And I say, where's she been? She looks a sight this morning. She's a sight for sore eyes. Sight and vision. See, I thought they were the same thing. It's not so much what you say. It's not so much the words you use. It's how you say them. The meaning behind them.
One preacher was known to say, I've never had to apologize for my position, but oftentimes I've had to apologize for my disposition. I've said it publicly many times. I don't care who hates me for my position, but I don't want anybody to hate me for my disposition. Have you ever had to apologize for your disposition? And I know some of you are sitting there saying, never have, don't plan to. No, you ought to. You ought to. Time to refuel. Just give me a minute. Yeah, have you ever had to apologize for your disposition? Think about that. Or are there times even now where you know you ought to be apologizing for that disposition? Man, I love the story. I love the story of the six foot ten cowboy who walked up to the counter at McDonald's. He slammed down his big fist and he said to the girl behind the counter, I want half a Big Mac. She said, What? He said, I want half a Big Mac and I want it now. Not being sure what to do, she said, well, excuse me for just a minute. And she headed over to her manager and without realizing that the big cowboy was right behind her. And she got to the manager and she said, hey, hey, there's a big klutz over there who's dumber than lead and he has ordered half a Big Mac. And just about at that moment, she realized he was standing right behind her. And quickly she said, and this gentleman wants the other half. Sometimes, and I'm telling you this from experience, I've been over this road. Sometimes you may be put on a spot by what you, but, and, and what you say in that situation is utterly important, but how you say it is probably going to be even more important. The fact that Jesus did not want to embarrass those who had been mocking him or get even with them or say something, you know, like I got, I'm one up on you. I'm way ahead of you. Boy, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? Not only does it speak volumes, it teaches us how we are to respond to each other. The old art of one-upmanship is very much alive today. It's even alive in the church amongst Christians. I love the story of the construction workers who were building a high-rise across the street in this particular city, across the street from a hospital. And as they were working on their third story, they noticed a little girl standing in the third floor window of the hospital. And she every day would appear for a while and she would watch the men work. Quite taken by that. And one day the men looked across and saw the little girl and she held up a poster that said, my name is Lisa. What is your name or what are your names? So the next day, the construction workers came back with some poster board and markers, and they all wrote down their names. My name is whatever, Henry. My name is Fred. My name is Bill. My name is Bob, whatever. And they put in the bottom, how old are you? Next day, the little girl held up a sign that said, I am seven years old. How old are you? (laughs) It went on for several days. One day, they noticed that Lisa wasn't at the usual place in the window, so at break time, One of the guys called the hospital, asked for a third floor nurse, and he got her, and he asked if it would be proper. Could she tell him anything about Lisa? And the nurse said, well, I can tell you this. Lisa has taken a turn for the worse, and she's not well at all, and she's now in pediatric intensive care. So here's what those workers did, those construction guys did, those big, tough, strong guys did. They pooled their money, and they bought some flowers and a card, and they wrote a note, and they all signed it, and they sent it to Lisa over in intensive, intensive care. Several days passed, and then another sign appeared at the hospital window. Lisa passed away today. Thank you guys for caring. What was that in human terms? That was expressing kindness through, listen, an understanding Spirit. 
When you come to someone who's going through it and you say, oh, I know how you feel. Nothing dampens the spirit more. You don't know how that person feels. And I've been through this many, many times, and I've tried never to say that. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know how much it hurts. I don't know how deep that grief is. I don't know what areas of their mind are affected by this. But I can tell you this, every part of their being is hurting. So we need to express kindness through an understanding spirit. We're talking about love's expressions. We're talking about kindness. We're talking about caring. We're talking about love. These are great themes, aren't they, to start a new year. And we're going to tie all this together in a few minutes as we come to the, the Lord's table and as we gather as a family to remember the price he paid and the kindness he showed and the love and grace and mercy that he offers to us and the eternal hope that is ours. It all just fits together. So verse 4 says love, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says love is kind. Well, if that's the truth, we need to learn to be kind to one another. Even as God has been kind to us through Jesus Christ. And God has offered him, Jesus, as a sacrifice for all our sins. So here's what I want to do in the next couple of minutes. I I want to give you the opportunity to respond to his love this morning. And I think we can do that by offering his kindness and his love and his grace. Not just to one another. Not just, I'm not just here today to encourage you, I am. But to go forth to express his love to everyone, all you meet. That's a tall order, I know, but it's love's expression and it's my challenge for you and us. Not just this morning, not just this week, not just the month of January. I'm not asking you to make it a New Year's revolution. Just just say today I'm committing to this. Now here's my challenge. For you to say 2017 for me is going to be a year to express kindness and to love like Jesus, like I've never done it before. And if you're willing to do that, I'm going to ask, if you're able, right at your place where you are, to just step in, uh, just stand up and be noticed, or step into the nearest aisle, or come down here and join me. Just stand around this platform, because I want to have prayer with you. And I want to commit all those who are making the, taking this challenge and making this vow. I want to commit us all to God's keeping. So we're going to play a, a song here. And I'm going to ask the worship team to just wait for one minute or so. And then you come. But let people accept this challenge right now. It's not a, an invitation. It's not an altar call. It's not... It's just, are you willing to make 2017 a year of enhanced kindness and encouragement and love and grace flowing out of your life to others? What a blessing. I want to tell you this, and I say this with a heavy heart. There's some people in this room who really need your love and kindness right now. They're going through some tough, Tough, tough stuff. They might be sitting in front of you. They may be sitting in the same section you're in. And if you don't know who they are, we don't make a big deal here about putting people on the spot, but you get around and talk to people. And if you're one of those people that's going through something like that, do not walk that road alone. Identify yourself and say, I'm that man. I'm that woman. I need that help. Just pray for me and show me that kindness. Well, thank you for your response. Let's pray together. Oh, loving Father, we, we have so, such a dynamic example in front of us as we look at the life of Jesus. And we, even he said, if you want to know God, look at me. 
And as we look at him, we just see your love. We see your kindness. We see everything good about you. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for those that have made a commitment this morning to make 2017 the year of kindness. Let's just say the year 2017 and beyond. And for 2017, may each one of us say, I'm going to strive daily to love like Jesus, to keep loving in spite of anything that comes into my life, and to give expression to that love to everyone I meet. God, thank you for the openness and the willingness and the tenderness of hearts that are represented here right now. Thank you for your kindness and the expressions of your love to us and to this whole world. We're so grateful. We are a grateful people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. I just thank you so much for your challenge, accepting that challenge this morning. Heavenly Father, you always amaze me. Let your kingdom come in my world and in my life. Give me the food I need to live through the day. And forgive me as I forgive. The people that wrong me Lead me far from temptation Deliver me from the evil one I look out the window The birds are composing the note is out of tune or out of place. I walk to the meadow and stare at the flowers that are dressed than any girl on her wedding day. So why should I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need. You know what I need. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. Thank you.